I can't know enough. I can't understand what's happening around me. My big picture's broken. Right. And and so how do I how do I pray? I reach out to Jesus and I say, Okay, you've got the whole world in your hands and and if you are on my side, I'm okay. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible Podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today we have Karen. Mm-hmm. Or, hello. Got- Hi. You can do it. It's okay. <laughs> and we've got Tracy. Good morning. And today we introduce a new voice to the to the podcast. Today we uh, bring in Amy. Good morning. Good morning, Amy. It's great to have you here with us today. Uh, Amy, tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. I am a veterinarian. I enjoy hiking and horseback riding and studying the word. Excellent. Very good. So yeah, Amy has uh, has graciously agreed to to join the podcast with us, and I am confident that she is going to uh, bring up the quality of the program immensely. <laughs> well, I will do my best. <laughs> you can't take it down much more with me on the show, so I count on the rest of you to pull it back up. <laughs> All righty. Well, we are uh, talking about the book of Jeremiah. We are starting in chapter 45. So the context that we have come to at this point is from what we have read, essentially, the nations of Israel and Judah are now are gone. Well, Assyria came in, took out Israel. Babylon has come in and taken out Judah. And Jeremiah has been right in the middle of all this, telling us about all this stuff that is going on. And so we begin with, it's really a tiny, tiny chapter. I was almost surprised that it got put in as a separate chapter. But um, I thought the same thing. I was like, why is that separate? Yeah, it's just a little thing. Well, you know, and, you know, we've talked about that so many times. It's like, why the chapter, why are the chapter breaks where they are? Why is this a chapter? Why, you know, why do we go for uh, uh, verses into a new chapter that clearly those verses seem to fit better with the chapter before. And, and, but in this case, we get this tiny little story of, uh, Baruch and Baruch, I guess is Jeremiah's secretary and he's not super happy with his situation. And, and God is giving him, it seems like God is giving him a message specifically through Jeremiah which how many times have we said we'd love it if God would give us a message directly? Right, right. Yes. God is giving this message to um, Baruch because Baruch just isn't happy with the situation. And we're given such a small amount of information on even who Baruch is, other than it seems like he's the guy who writes down the stuff that Jeremiah dictates to him. And God is saying, you know, basically, don't worry. What I, I'm going to build up or I'm going to break down what I've built up. And so don't seek great things for yourself. Bad things are coming, but I will give you your life. So I don't know. I mean, did did you see this as Baruch worried about everything that was happening and wondering what was going to happen to him? I, Uh, I looked at it like just generalized anxiety. But I had to I had to admit I did. I put a little star by it because. It was just the the O part. Oh, Baruch. It's mm. like, I, you know how you just almost want to, in a way, console your children, but still give them, I guess, maybe a little bit of correction. 
maybe mm -hmm. maybe enlightenment but it's just like like that little head shake and just saying oh baruch come on now <laughs> you know what i mean it's like yeah. i've been giving you this message for oh so long come on get it together yeah and that's what i took it as is like <clears throat> it's almost like hey grow up pick your head up there's more going yep. on here than the things that you're struggling with and he, and he says flat out like this is what i'm doing i'm god this is what i'm doing is this the time to seek your own you know what what did he call it great thing is this the time to seek great things for yourself no mm -hmm. i'm bringing disaster oh. on this people so now's not the time to be searching out and and trying to achieve your own agenda it's just not the time mm -hmm. oh karen yeah. I think you're so correct yeah i think that's exactly what it's saying <laughs> <laughs> yeah not the time to be worrying about buying property working on that 401k you know whatnot because um all that stuff is is just going to disappear but if you will just relax don't worry you're going to come through this alive and you're going to be just fine so i it you know uh now that my children are adults and i can say all of the unfiltered things that i had to filter out during the years i needed to be a good parent uh now now i can say to thing to them things like oh you're so cute and dumb when you worry <laughs> That's what came to mind. That right there. Yep. <laughs> no, yeah, it is. Uh, well, the world's on fire, and like everything can that can go wrong is going wrong. But you should definitely worry about this one tiny thing that's in front of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it does seem funny. Maybe you know, if Baruch, it made me wonder. It makes me wonder how much. Excuse me, how long uh, Baruch has been Jeremiah's secretary? You know, if he is. If he is the one who's writing down all the words, you know, can we assume that he he is the one who physically wrote the book of Jeremiah? That would, you know, that would be interesting to know. And if he is, then, you know, it, it is kind of strange. I say strange, but we've talked about human nature here so much as it is. But um, that he just doesn't quite seem to know what's happening or is really worried about what's happening when there's been so much assurance from God that uh, if you just follow the path that he's given, that you're going to, you're coming, going to come out. Okay. But you know, like we've said, people, uh, they don't, they don't uh, pay attention very well. So now we get into chapter 46 and 46 starts all on judgment of Egypt. So the chapter from here out gets really interesting to me because the story has been about Judah and Israel and correction slash punishment, however you want to call that. And now it's like the whole surrounding area, like everybody is getting a taste of things here. Yeah, I love this. I mean, the <clears throat> verse one really opens it up to what's going to happen for chapter after chapter after chapter here. The word of the Lord, which came to Jeremiah the prophet against the nations. And then we start with Egypt. Mm hmm. Yeah. And, you know, remember that, oh, was it an episode or two ago we were talking about how there was like this group of that, that had been left in Judah when Babylon carried everybody away. And then their group decided they were going to go to Egypt. And God had told them, don't go to Egypt, but they right. did it anyway. And God had even told them, if you 
go to Egypt instead of staying in Judah, you're going to die in Egypt mm-hmm. and you're going to see Pharaoh defeated. But they didn't listen. I'm trying to remember the name of the guy who led them there. I'd have to go look, flip back a couple of pages. But the time shifts back a little bit here to the fourth year of Jehoiakim. So I, Jeremiah bounces around so much and you, you've got to pay attention to what you're, ta- what you're talking about because Zedekiah was that last king and we've already seen Judah dismantled, taken down, people carried off. But now it backs up to Jehoiakim, who was mm, two two kings previous, you know, and into the first year of Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon then. And you can see here that even then, Egypt's defeat was already put into motion years before Judah was carried away. So I've got this Bible that has a column in the center that has a rough timeline of when things are happening. So when we get to chapter 45, so in chapter 45, we were in, we were in 589 BC. Mm -hmm. And then when we get to 45, it jumps back to 607. So that's kind of where we're at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's just, you know, and it's it's interesting that it backs up like this, but it really shows that things things were already in motion. Egypt's defeat had had been put in motion years before Judah was carried away. And so this warning that God has given to that remnant was to keep them out of the way of something that was already in motion. I mean, whatever was going to happen to Egypt was going to happen to Egypt because like you know we've said many times if god says something is going to happen it's going to happen and we should not be in the mindset of thinking that god is like waits 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 and then bam you know he does a thing things are in motion way ahead of time and so here you've got god saying to stay out of the way don't don't jump in there um because like other times we've talked it's like god has told people get away from that situation because judgment is coming and if you are there you're going to get stuck in it and and you don't want to be part of that the, any kind of reciprocal uh, effects from it so so steer clear but you know we see that egypt is, gets gets defeated and that was johanan is that who took judah yes, to, took yeah that's right that, that sounds right yeah So verses three and four have this call for Egypt to prepare for battle. And it's kind of a sarcastic, seems like it's sort of a sarcastic call because, I mean, it's very clear that they're, they are going to be defeated, taken out. And this thing, you know, like display your strength, you know, you can almost, you can almost hear the sarcastic tones in it. But the, the the Egyptian troops are, are are afraid and are told that none of them are going to escape. Yeah, it's actually always interesting to me how much sarcasm there is uh, that appears to originate from God. You know, like he's saying, saddle your horses, but I will destroy you with mm-hmm. the sword. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and try, little man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I guess maybe you my look sarcasm. like you're ready for war, but it's... It's for nothing. <laughs> Maybe my some of my sarcasm comes naturally because, uh, you know, if we're in the image of God. Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited right now. Like, if this is God's language, I am clearly. <laughs> <laughs> You're super close to God. <laughs> Yay. I've never felt like such a good Christian in my life. 
That's awesome. <laughs> Great. Karen, you sound so sarcastic. I've been in the word. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> but uh, let's see. Uh, it talks about how Egypt was like, was cocky in their plans for dominance. And you think about it. I mean, who really would have been more poised for success than than Egypt? I mean, Tracy, you're kind of a amateur Egyptologist. Can you think of anybody? I mean, any any ancient civilization that seemed more likely to just dominate everything? No. And that's why I think that's where the sarcasm was with God, because he took him through the, the ebbs and the flows of, of power for Egypt. And still people would go there thinking that, you know, this was uh, a formidable force in the world. And just for him to basically say, you know what, let him go get polished up and look great, but it's not going to work out for him. I'm, I'm, I almost got to the point where it's, I'm done using them. I don't need to use them anymore. Mm-hmm. Exactly what it was. Yeah. I feel like, Verse 17 is interesting because he says, Egypt is but a noise. So just a sound. And then verse 23, it says that, you know, this force coming from the north, so Babylon, will cut you down like a forest. And they are more than the grasshoppers. You can't even count them. Yeah. Even today, we're so astounded by the things that Egypt was able to do. You know, we're we're amazed by their great pyramids. We're amazed by their temples, um, uh, even wealth. their tombs, their wealth. Yeah. And just like God said to Israel and Judah, it's like, don't don't uh, get too don't don't be getting all caught up in that stuff because it's all going to it's all going to go away. It's all going to be gone. So I'm just going to expose myself right here. And I just thought this was kind of not. So glad I have my. (laughs) Yeah, not that way. Okay, the sarcasm. (laughs) Um, But I don't know how many of you did this, but I was thinking back and it kind of made me smile for a little bit. But when I was a small, small boy and I was studying the Bible, the balm in Gilead, the Mm B-A-L-M. How many of you actually said balm? The balm. When you were a small child. And I for years I pondered that as a small child going, why would there be a bomb in Gilead? Oh, they had funny. Bombs, I've never thought of that. No. Bombs back in the day. And it made me really kind of snicker about that because it took me a long time to realize like a healing salve or something like that. Mm-hmm. But for for a lot of my youth, I thought it was an explosive device. It's funny. I did not trust <laughs> A friend of mine, I went over to her house. So she had she had, had a head injury and it was like a big split on her scalp and in in her hair. And so she was showing it to me as it healed. It had been fairly traumatic and deep when it happened. And she was showing it to me. And I said, Well, what's the stuff on it? What what is on it? There was clearly some kind of a salve on it. And she goes, Oh, it's balm of Gilead. And I said, Well, what's you know, okay, I, I, I know the words, but what is that? And she said, well, it's half pine pitch and half olive oil. And I was like, oh, really? I didn't know that. So, yeah, so her mom had gone and dug pine pitch out of the local trees and mixed it, you know, sort of smashed it half and half into olive oil. And that's what they would put on their things when they needed to heal. Interesting. 
Um, anyway, no, I, I, I never heard the word bomb. That's yeah. Neither. No. <laughs> I just thought it was that, and I just remember as a little kid just thinking that. But yeah, it was it was corrected, but I had to at least snicker about it right now. But <laughs> so can That's... I just um, really quick? Can I go back to verse seventeen? So Amy called it out. Yeah. You know, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is but a noise. I actually like the next line. He has passed by the appointed time. Like that's what we're that's what we're talking about here. Like there's a time and a place for I mean, what was it Nebuchadnezzar or Babylon or something like that that God calls or was it it might have been Assyria where God calls him His sword. You know, mm -hmm. I'm sending the king of whatever. And now I'm drawing a blank on whatever it was, but Cyrus. I think it's Cyrus. Yeah, it might it might have been. Oh well, yeah, definitely Cyrus. But like, there's these times where these these sort of places in history where this nation is supposed to do this thing. And I'm so curious about it. And I get even more curious when I look at what's going on in the world today. It's like, mm. you know, if I had the bird's eye view, right? Like I don't, I'm down in the trenches, right? But if, if I had the bird's eye view, what would I see? How would I see things differently? Like how, would, I, would I pray differently? So from down in the trenches with my limited point of view, I have my instincts, I have my research that I can try to do with whatever information is out there. And then I, and then I decide, you know, my best analysis of what to pray for. But if there was, if there was ever evidence, these, these chapters that we're reading right here, if there was ever evidence why all of our prayers should end with, but not my will, but yours be done, this is mm -hmm. it. Like the bad guys are acting as the good guys. God has called this nation to do this thing. And when they're done doing God's calling, he will take them down and he will move on to the next phase. Right. And, and, and without the it. view, we just don't get that. And so we get caught up in our in our smaller perspective. And then we urgently feel that that's what we should pray for. So like I've been listening, like I'll listen to one group of people like, OK, bringing it back to modern day. Like I listen to one group of people talk and they're like, well, this is what's happening in the world. And so this is what we're praying for. And then I listen and they're and they're well-intentioned Christians. Then I listen to another group of people talk and they say the exact opposite. Well, this is what's going on in the world and this is what we should pray for. <laughs> you know, go Holy Spirit. And I'm sitting here in the middle and, and I'm telling you, like my prayer lately with so much information, disinformation, misinformation, you know, straight up lies. You don't know what's what. And so mm -hmm. how do you pray? You know, you should. You could feel the agitation in the world. You know you should pray. How on earth do you pray? So, you know, going back to Barak, Barak's all upset because his life isn't working out. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, welcome to modern day, right? Every phase of humanity has that same struggle. And so I'm telling you, if I, you know, if I think about what the New Testament says about the Holy Spirit, about how the Holy Spirit's job is to translate the groanings of our heart that don't even have words to God's ears. Like, whoa. That's a big job. So much contradictory everything going on. Like, I mean, and 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 well-intentioned, loving Christians praying exactly op opposite each other all at the same time. And it's like, okay. Yeah, yeah. I like that. And I, I like that. And especially in light of the book of Hebrews and the fact that we know that Jesus is praying for us. And I, I just feel like sometimes... I, you know, like what you're saying, I can't know enough. I can't understand what's happening around me. My big picture is broken. Right. And, and so how do I, how do I pray? I reach out to Jesus and I say, okay, you've got the whole world in your hands. And, and if you are on my side, I'm okay. And I'm just going to 
you know, trust in that. And it's such a great image in the book of Hebrews of him interceding for us. Mm-hmm. Yep, that it is. But this is this. I like this. This is comforting to me. These mm-hmm. people are in chaos. There's a they good are. guy and a bad guy in their world. And it isn't who they think it is. And they're. And their prophet is there telling them, you're going to be reprimanded for this many years, and then you'll be done being reprimanded. And don't try to run from it. Mm-hmm. Stay here, right? Accept right. your punishment. You'll be brought back. You know, and all of these things, it's like God doesn't do anything without first telling his servants the prophets. And yet, these average citizens are just looking at the big movements on the chessboard around them of the world and going, oh, crap. Now what? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just fascinating to me. Right. And making the wrong choice over and over again. Always, always putting their trust in a foreign government when their God keeps saying to them, I've got you. I've got you. Right here. Yep. Anyway, so Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's time is done. King of Egypt. He has missed his opportunity. He is now only a loud noise. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So, Tracy, being the Egyptologist, what? Uh, how, how much influence does Egypt have past this? Do you know? They didn't. Everywhere I looked, it's like that was about it. That's where the dynasties start to go down from there. Fascinating. But but I always look back and I kept thinking, how many times did did Israel go and try to seek protection from them, pull them in when they're not supposed to, you know, want to align with them that we've seen a few times in the past. And now it's like God, God even calls out their their son, God. Did you see? Yeah. Did you see it in twenty five? Yeah, I'll bring punishment on Ammon, and that was. You have to just. I was just continuously thinking about it and looking at it. The whole entire civilization knew about Egypt, knew about their practices, you know, and see how, and we're just observant of how they dominated the world. But you know, and they had their hiccups along the way, but still, now I'm done with them. And who was really in Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon? It's almost like they almost came out of nowhere mm-hmm. to be an yeah. immovable force and and basically conquer the world. We've kind of heard little rumblings of things, right. you know, from the north, and we've seen that you know Babylon was a bit of a thorn on Assyria, even when mm-hmm. when Assyria was was taken over um, Israel. But it was pretty quiet, at least as far as the Bible is concerned, about Babylon until until it started becoming a thing for uh, right. for for Judah. And then it was like, <clears throat> excuse me, it was like this. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that the comparison has been made. In fact, I'm sure it was. It was like a roaring lion all of a sudden, yep. just just rushing in and taking over everything. And so it's just really fascinating that even Egypt, who has been this huge superpower for so long, uh, is is getting taken down. Yep. And it yeah. is. It went, they went from just, you know, like you said, just a little bit of of information that we got to just being a major world player and jumping into the limelight. It's kind of interesting too, you know, given our time, it's so tempting to keep looking at political situations, trying to understand all the different players, uh, who's really in power, you know, that kind of thing. And then verse 27 of chapter 47 says, but fear not, O my servant Jacob, and be not dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save thee from afar off. And and I think, you know, right now it's been really comforting to me studying the prophecies in Daniel and Revelation. And 
not that I understand every detail, but the fact that over and over again, the, the point is trusting God. I've got this whole thing in control. Yeah, that's a point that we've been seeing a lot is, is uh, just understanding that God is in control. You can trust him. Even when, like we're seeing here, salvation here, it comes through correction. It's not mm-hmm. salvation in what you're doing right now. It's not, eh, just keep, just, you know, you're fine. It's okay. It's, you know, it's not that. You are going to be corrected, and that's how you're going to be saved. And, you know, in a lot of cases, it's that, that correction does not come in a pleasant fashion. I looked at it from that whole, I will save you from afar. But if you go down to 28, it says, but don't fear, Jacob, my servant, said the Lord, for I am with you. And I think he always has to bring that back to Israel. It's like, okay, it might look bad, but I'm still with you. We just like you're saying, I need to, to have this, this correction. It's not, it's not forever. It's for the 70 years. Do your time. I'm still with you. I'm going to restore you. Yeah. yeah, I love that verse because he's assuring us of his presence. But then the verse ends by saying, but I will not leave you completely unpunished. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm with you even in your punishment. Mm-hmm. So let's see. So I've got, a, I've got a parallel Bible that's got a few different translations right next to each other, which is always interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So if I look at verse 28, like the tail end of verse 28, right there at the end of chapter 46, says, um, I will not make a complete end of you. I will rightly correct you, for I will not leave you wholly unpunished. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's nice wording. I like that. That's New King James. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, if you take that all by itself, that would almost sound like a threat, which maybe to some degree it is. But when you put it into context of everything we've been reading, you see that this is an act of grace on God's part. Uh, this is the act of a loving parent. I'm not going to just let you sit in your mess. Yep. Yeah. I'm going to correct you. I'm going to teach you better than what you're doing right now. And that is how you will be saved. Sometimes the salvation comes through a little pain. Yeah. Well, think about too, the, what he's helping them Uh, do through punishment because it works so what happens is of course they keep falling into these idolatrous patterns all through the old testament and idolatry is a form of insanity you know and he makes fun of them again with the sarcasm there's passages where he says on the one hand you chop up a bunch of wood and burn it and on the other hand you take wood and turn it into an idol and then worship it that is a form of insanity Mm -hmm. and and so when he finally overcomes them with the Babylonian captivity, from then on, they have a much better grip on reality. They know that there is one God and, and they're capable finally of seeing that. Now they overcorrect and become legalistic, but they, but it works. They finally understand. Yeah. Do you guys ever wonder if that's kind of where we're at now? Like, the world is so complex and everything screams for priority and worship me, worship me, worship me, attention here, attention here, attention here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like how how many modern day Christians or let's just say modern day people mm-hmm. have lost sight of the fact that there is one God and they're placing their worship everywhere because worship is priority. That's all that is. It's like giving, mm-hmm. you know, giving 
giving reverence, giving honor, that's a, that's priority. I mean, how many of us, how many people in this complicated, fast-paced, multi-dimensional modern world, it's so easy to forget. Like there's a worry right in front of me, so I put all my attention on this. Mm-hmm. And then there's a worry that popped up over here, so I put all my attention on this. And then there's a worry overseas, so I put all my attention here. And it's so easy to forget that God is God and our prayers become diluted and our worship becomes diluted until it's not really even worship. Yeah. Well, you know, we've said a lot of times that our idols today just look different. It may not look like a statue in the corner. It might, it might, you know, sit in your garage. It might be your family. It might be your job. It might be uh, a hobby. You know, interestingly, our pastor yesterday was even saying for him, sometimes his idol is his ministry. It just becomes all all consuming, all encompassing. And that seems like a strange that would seems like a strange uh, connection to make because you think I've, of I've heard ministry. That. Well, I've heard that from pastors before. That's interesting. Yeah. You, know, you think, think of that been... as being like noble, you know, um, mm-hmm. but yeah. if it's if it's the ministry if it's the ministry that takes all of the all of the focus, then maybe the focus isn't where it needs to be. I was just thinking about going back to the idea of idolatry. When you are worshiping an idol, you are also for, if you forget who the real God is, then you, in a sense, forget who you are. And I think with our modern secular mindset also um, with the idea of evolution or believing that we are. Um, you know, created from animals, that sort of thing. Um, We lose our vision of who we are as children of God and rational beings. And I think that when that happens, an individual starts to engage in behaviors which are not becoming a child of God. Yeah. You know, I think too that we have talked about it in the past is that, you know, I think that's one of Satan's ploys is that he could use anything as a distraction. You know, anything for you to take your relationship off of of God and make it something else, no matter what it is. And, you know, for our pastor to say that yesterday, that, you know what, sometimes ministry can can be the distraction. It made me almost think of a parallel with like um, my profession as a medical provider is that what happens is you get so consumed with helping other people that you start to fall apart. Mm-hmm. You start start not taking care of the very things that you're you're telling other people, you know, screenings, mm-hmm. overall good health, and and yours is going by the wayside because you're continuously focused on somebody else. No, I can see that. I mean, even in the last you know the last year of taking over the company and the business and how all encompassing that became with me for a while and trying to figure out that balance of you know, sure it's important, but. There's other stuff that's important, too. You can't let the family go to the wayside. You can't let your worship time go to the wayside, uh, you know, study and, and prayer time and, and things like that. And, yeah, you got to you got to balance all those things and not let not let them become uh, like the central the central focus. We've seen now that Egypt is going to have some struggles and we get into chapter 47 then, and we start seeing, in fact, it's kind of a quick succession down through the next several chapters that the whole area, I mean, like everything here is getting 
just is going to get hammered by by Babylon. Starts 47 starts with Philistia. I mean, the Philistines have been a thorn in the side of Israel and Judah for well, ever since they left Egypt. And they're they're going to have some struggle here now. Babylon's coming for the Philistines. They're going to lose all of their their help from Tyre and Sidon. It talks about baldness and cutting. So like there's going to be mourning for them. So Philistia is going to get uh, judgment. Um, it goes into Moab and that's in uh, 48. So that's the next several chapters. Moab is talked about a bit here. So I, I, I had to pause to remember, like, we know who Egypt is and we know who the Philistines are. You know, that was kind of like the locals before Israel moved into Canaan. Moab is the descendants of Lot's grandson through his oldest daughter. Okay, yeah. Then the next chapter, 49, is about Ammon. Ammon was Lot's grandson through his youngest daughter. Yeah. Right, and what you're and saying then, is really important because the daughters, you know, had children by their father, which yeah. is pretty sketchy. <laughs> and then halfway through 49, it starts talking about Edom, and Edom is the descendants of Esau. Yeah. So, like, this is all the nations that live around here that have that have grown into some type of power, and God is interacting with them guiding them, disciplining them, using them, moving the world along as he needs it to go. Right. Yeah. And and then in the judgment that comes for them, uh, several times here, the like their chief gods get called out here too. Uh, for Moab, it was, I think you say it, Chamosh. Chamosh shall go forth into captivity. This is the this is the God, the national God of Moab. Mm. Uh, and so God is starting to call out very specifically these other gods that have been such distractions to Israel and Judah. I don't know. We, I mean, we've talked so many times about how in the world did Israel and Judah get caught up in these other things when they had they had seen, or at least their ancestors had seen, amazing miracles and having, you know, like the presence of God in fire and smoke and all these things. But then you get uh, Moab's God, Chimosh, being called out to the point where it says they'll be ashamed of them. They'll be ashamed of Chimosh. Molech is called out in Ammon in verse 49 or chapter 49. And some of the reasons that they're going to be that they're going to be dismantled is because of their their trust in this Mole, this Molech or as it was saying in New King James, Milcom, which is another name for that God, Molech. Molech is the God that people would lay their living children on the arms of Moloch and Moloch was filled with fire. Mm-hmm. So it was a hollow idol and they would build fires inside of it and then sacrifice their children on it. Pretty detestable stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's hor- It's horrific. Absolutely horrific. Now, interestingly, though, verse uh, six in chapter 49 says, afterward, I will bring back the captives of the people of Ammon. And you see this a lot of times. God is saying, OK, I'm going to come in. You are going, or not I, but uh, in this case, Babylon's going to come in. It's going to take you out, but then some of you will come back, you know. And that's we saw that that's going to happen with Judah. We saw that it's going to happen with Ammon and all these others. When you get to Edom, though, there's no mention of a return for the Edomites. Did you notice that? Mm-hmm. That was interesting. 
and I'm, I was a little curious why Edom gets different treatment on that, but I, it was an interesting little aside here. Verse 16 calls them, though you who dwell in the clefts of, clefts of the rock, and I was seeing that these would been uh, would have been the people who built Petra. If you're familiar with Petra, that's that um, like whole civilization that was like all carved into the sides and the cliffs in, in these canyons and stuff. Several movies have have. Well, specifically, Indiana Jones used one of the one that I think it's called the Treasury there as a as a as a site for uh, for filming. Uh, very famous to see, and I'd love to see it someday. And apparently, the Edomites are the ones who built that. You look in eighteen, and it compares it to Sodom and Gomorrah, and mm. it says that you know what? In the end, no one shall remain there, and no son of man dwell in it. Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty much done for like you're saying mm-hmm. yeah so yeah no return for edom uh damascus is going to be taken out kidar and hazor says nebuchadnezzar will strike them elam elam which is now this is interesting elam is like 800 miles from jerusalem and that was my best guess on that and he was this prophecy was given to jeremiah in the beginning of zedekiah's reign 800 miles away and they are going to be dealt with as well that just seemed like a long way away for i mean this nation who i guess has had some influence on the story we've been studying i just thought it was interesting that even this this society from so far away is going to be taken down so it's not even just like local it's it's pretty widespread what's happening here before we before we transition do you guys there's this text when i was reading these chapters there was a text that we covered um back in isaiah that kept coming to mind and i had to rummage back and find it and it's isaiah 42 8 and it says i am the lord that is my name i will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols mm-hmm. and I think that that is where this is at. I mean, yeah. we've, talked, we've talked over the weeks about how, you know, God is very patient with nations, even nations where looking back on it in, you know, looking back on it through the lens of history, we can say, yeah, that was a bad nation. They consistently did bad, but God would still spend hundreds of years working with them until they had reached their point of no return. And then he would set them up for destruction. Now, that's where things get weird because that's a you're, that's a macro view, right? Is every man, woman, and child, and animal in that nation evil, right? That's where the right. that's where things get tricky when it comes to thing to topics like war. But from God's point of view, He's got that. He's got the God view. You know, He's got the point of view that we'll never have, mm-hmm. and at some point. At some point, he makes a judgment call that this nation is done. They've had every chance, every chance. And now it's time to bring in an opposing force and take them down. And it's like, that's such a huge view of the world that I struggle to even get my brain around it. Watching yeah. it through history, I can do that because through the Bible and through and through secular records of history, we get a little bit better perspective on what was actually going on. But like this is this stuff that's going on in Jeremiah, 
this is good versus evil. Yeah. You know, this is this isn't God being petty against Egypt. Egypt's been in power for centuries. Right. Centuries. You know, the Edomites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, all of these countries have had their time to see God, recognize him, choose choose who they're going to serve, and eventually, eventually, like like that text that we read earlier, you know, the time your appointed time has passed. Mm-hmm. And now it now we're gonna do something else. Mm-hmm. And that's I, I struggle, right? War to me is a struggle to think, you know, and, and I automatically become sympathetic. Well, you know, that little that little boy over there, he didn't do anything wrong and he loved his puppy and you know they went down in the war the same as everybody else did. Well, mm-hmm. that's true. It is true. That it is, is true. That is a very difficult perspective for me. When I when I step back and I look at it the way the Bible has this reading was really good for me because it, it divides the it just divides nations up into chunks. You you have done this and it will not be tolerated anymore. So and so is going to come take you down. You you have done this, you have had your time, you have made these choices, and now so-and-so is going to come take you down in my name. They're going to come do my work and take you down, right? That's that's an easy, broad swoop, and that makes me go, oh, thank goodness, right? But then mm-hmm. you get down into that, and you get the small stories, and then, and then, like, my human heart starts to hurt, like, oh, ouch. Yeah. You know, I've struggled with that at times, too. But when you do back up to that macro picture and you see a society that has continued to spiral down and down and down and down and they're dragging everybody with them, then when you see the innocence, like you say, the little boy playing with the puppy, you see them taken down with it, too. You can see you can see a little grace in that for them to be removed. You know, the situation is just taken away where that influence is now is now gone. And a child who is taken in their innocence then will not fall into that at this point. Yeah, or or left an orphan or sent to wander the world with no family and no you know, I mean like there's mm-hmm. not everybody dies in war. You know, like you some of the some of the horror stories that come out of war, there's a lot of war in these chapters. There's a lot of war here. And it's easy to point back at those nations and just be like, Well, okay, they have their chance, they're done. And then and then there's a lot of fallout. There's a lot of individuals there. And that's where I have to take a deep breath and trust God yeah. with those with those people. And and when when I look at war decisions, you know, I, I realize that they come with a heavy price. Like the people, okay, nowadays I think ev- I think pretty much every nation in the world has a voluntary military that is paid, right? There's no, there's not a draft. It's not like we're walking down the street going, we're at war and we're desperate for troops. You come with me now, right? Like the old, like the, like the drafts that have happened in previous years. And if you go back further in history, like the conscription, like mm-hmm. so-and-so goes to the market to buy bread for the day and gets taken. And now they're a soldier and 
whatever king or queen's army and they never see their family again. Right. That has happened in the course of history. But right now, I think pretty much worldwide, we have a professional army. But one of the nastiest tactics of war is for soldiers to hide in subdivisions. They go into residential housing and hide there. So even though in the grand picture, in the meta picture, the war you know, we call it a necessary evil. To me, it's like military, government, you know, all of these things. To me, those are necessary evils because we live on a fallen planet. And I just, like, I struggle between the big picture of knowing that God is moving the earth towards its final things and feeling bad for the individuals and the innocents who are caught up in those bigger moves. So far in my life, that hasn't been me. If my reading of the Bible is accurate, someday it will be me. No one on earth will escape it. And that's, I kind of, you know, I sort of, when I was reading this, there was a lot of, there was a lot of nations getting taken down in these chapters. And all I could think was looking ahead to what has been prophesied and thinking someday that's going to be me. Someday that's going to be me. Someday will it be my nation Will it be my nation has reached its fill and now it's time for my nation to be disassembled? Apparently. Apparently, you know, if I look ahead through through prophecy, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my kids? What's going to happen to my grandkids? You know, and that's it's like, whoa, war is just this far reaching thing. Kind of crazy. I don't mean to get all sidetracked, but that's the kind no. of stuff I was thinking while I was reading this this week. You know, I think, too, that's that's kind of how you have to view it is that, you know, throughout history, the, the wars and the battles may have taken, you know, days, if not years, but the fallout sometimes is decades. Yeah. Generations. Yeah. The places that don't recover and, or places that get stuck and, you know, that was their heyday. And after that, they're pretty much non-existent anymore. And I think that's what we have to kind of look at here is, is that all these places are getting taken away basically. And I don't think, Really, even when we look back at like Egypt, it wasn't mentioned as they were the all encompassing power of, you know, the entire known world. It's like they occupied their little area, you know, occasionally they would go out and, you know, and take on like Israel or something and then come back home. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is literally he's taking over the known world. Yeah. And and I don't think people I don't think that time was ready well i can't say it was ready for that but they had never seen anything like that no people would usually just maintain their own you know a good distance from where their epicenter was and that was it you know but now this is far reaching well and if you and and if anybody if any of our <clears throat> six listeners uh Want to millions and millions, millions, millions <laughs> of listeners. If any of our millions of listeners want to, you know, look at look ahead in Bible prophecy, you know, Babylon became basically the the one world government of the then known world. And if you if you look ahead in Daniel, you'll see that that the king of Babylon had a dream that showed him that he was that. And that after him would come other sort of one world government type of things. And then eventually there wouldn't be any more. Like there would be a few and they would take up 
hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of years. And then there wouldn't be any. Then the nations would be broken down into smaller pieces. And then the next one world government that would exist would be the kingdom of God. So that's an interesting layout looking ahead is that human human power sort of comes and goes, you know, you know, okay, so Babylon's coming down. He's about to have his moment. His moment passes. The next one world government comes and then the next one and then the next one. Right. And it's, it's kind of fascinating to watch that play out. And now we're in the point of history where there isn't one and there isn't going to be one until the kingdom of God is set up. So, it's just, it's just it's just all very it's just all very fascinating. These are some broad strokes we're looking at here. Yeah, we've watched I don't know, we've watched so many things happen through our readings over the last couple of years here now. Yeah. Of this this rise of Israel where Israel I don't know, would you call Israel like I mean, I guess they would have been a world power, but no. were they the world power? I don't know. No, they were not a world power. So. And and no. I don't I don't think God ever let them be that because I don't think they would have handled it. I think their days of Solomon were as close as they got. Well, during the days of David, they were building. During the days of Solomon, they were they were pretty well solidified. But then after that, they disintegrated as far as that was probably the peak of their quote unquote world powerness. See, and I think too, if you look back at David, that was one of David's downfalls is when he started to number them. It was a numbering to yeah. see exactly okay, are we formidable to go out and conquer other things? Mm-hmm. And that was when God said, yeah, no, that's yeah, don't, don't do that. Don't, I'll do, that. Tell you to don't go do that because I should be your primary focus. And even if you are fighting with 200 people, I'm going with you. I'm the equalizer. I'm the one that gets you above and uh, beyond everyone else and, and wins wars, nothing by you. And I think that's where David all of a sudden Okay, now let me get a good grasp of reality. But it was just like what we were saying. It was local, not far reaching. And I think this is the first time with Babylon is that we see that it was far reaching, that they were going to conquer the known world at that point. And that's where you see, you know, not to skip ahead and and move into Daniel, but, you know, his entire, you know, idol in in uh, Daniel that we see in with all the world powers. Nothing like that was done before. Right. Yeah. You guys remember the story of Gideon? Classic example of how God works. It's like, hey, we're going to war. Wait, you want me? To, you want me to lead the troops? You want me to lead the troops? Me? Like I'm from this non-important family in a non-important tribe. Yes, I want you to go. That's how I'm going to get the glory. I'm sending the weak to do my mm. work, and then your army's too big. Send these. Send too, too big. <laughs> Yeah. And then your army's too big and then your army's too big and then your army's too big. And and then he ends up going against a, uh, the the enemy, which is what was it like? A hundred and some odd thousand soldiers. And he goes against him with 300 soldiers. And God tells him specifically, I'm cutting your army down because if you win with this size of force, you'll take credit. Yep. And he says that flat out. And that's why David got in trouble. I always thought that was weird. Like, doesn't everybody take a census? Like, isn't that how you make your get keep your taxes accurate and this, that, and the other thing? And like, isn't that how you do that? But David was a fighting king. And for him, he was probably, you're probably exactly right, Tracy. He was probably counting his resources. And it's like, no, those aren't your resources. 
You'll go to war when God tells you to go to war with the amount of people that God tells you to take when he tells you to take them. And that has nothing to do with your resources. So stop counting them. Yeah. Well, everything, everything God does is so different from what we as human beings would think of wanting to do. Because I've been with you, too, on that that census that David wanted to take for the longest time. I was like. But there's other times when God told you to do it, you know, and then <laughs> and, and but this time he does it on his own and he gets punished for it. And and uh, but yeah, because it was then David saying, how strong am I? Yeah. Yeah. And so all these all these nations who we have seen and read about, I don't think there was even one there that at some point hasn't been an influence one way or the other on Israel and Judah. Sometimes negative, sometimes positive, sometimes allies, sometimes enemies. But this wide-reaching spread of God's hand going out through Nebuchadnezzar, where I mean, am I? I'm, I didn't didn't God even at one point? Maybe it was last week, week before. Wasn't he talking about Nebuchadnezzar being his? Even his hand, I, I might be misremembering that, but definitely Nebuchadnezzar is God's weapon in this. Sure. And, you know, we're going to see, we're going to see how that shifts and turn, turns that's, around. It's exactly what the Bible says. It says God is the one who sets up kings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And God is the one who takes kings down. Mm-hmm. And which is, which that gets really, really interesting because you look back at times in history, like, if God set up that king and then yep. these people rose against that king, look at our own history as a nation. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we were, we, the, uh, the people who ended up in America came from primarily the European countries where they were being held down by a government that was managed, had a heavy hand with religion. They wanted to be able to worship as they chose, and so they bailed. They they went against, they went away from their nation. They basically ran away. That's not an act of war, right? But then the motherland comes after them and they fought to preserve. They fought tooth and nail to preserve. Like they they engaged in absolute war. You know, there's, so there's, it's just this interesting ebb and flow of, of power on earth and what are we called to do and when are we called to be peaceful and when are we called to fight mm-hmm. and i and i kind of struggle to know those things sometimes you know but i think it's i think we mentioned that earlier on today is like you know just with our study and and going through these different times in history and the correlation it is you know with the bible and what we're seeing today is you know it it honestly makes me think of what is what's going on right now with with Russia and Ukraine is that nobody thought it would be what going on three weeks now. Mm-hmm. They yep. were worried that it was just going to be a march in, take over, and that would be it. But just like you were saying earlier, Karen, it's no formidable army, really. People are un, up until the age of like 60, I think I heard on the news this week that we're just donning the military gear and are set to oppose a, a mighty nation just on guts and pride and wanting to preserve themselves and their families and now have held off uh, 
you know, one of the, I don't know, maybe superpower, former superpower, you know, what, what you want to call it, but nobody was giving them a chance. Yeah, it's tricky stuff. It's tricky stuff. Moving on. Yeah. We could spend, we could spend like a week straight on that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> we could well, just record and do a live discussion as the Russia-Ukraine situation unfolds. <laughs> right. Because we're all such great war analysts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, experts. We're the yes. experts. Well, that is going to be our time for our discussion this week. Next week, we will get into, we will finish the book of Jeremiah next week. We're going to look at chapters 50 through 52. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there because we start talking about the fall of Babylon before it's even happened. And I think that might be a very interesting discussion. So while you are uh, reading that and waiting for us, please make sure that you uh, share the podcast with others. Make sure that you look to see where you can find us. You can find us on on Facebook. and um, Oh, and uh, by the way, we are on a couple of other platforms now, too. You can, you can listen to the podcast directly from Facebook now. Um, we're also on iHeartRadio, um, Stitcher. I think we are on Audible. So there's a few other places that you can look for us, too, if you have a, a podcatcher that you really like. But... Um, yeah, read ahead on that. Share the podcast with your friends and family and neighbors. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Uh, and he, bless you. Thank you. I hit this button. I hit the editing room floor. See, see, Amy, this is how this works. Yeah, don't, don't. Editing room floor. Don't worry, I'll make you all sound good.